the reading found in John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May God bless the reading from His holy word. Please take your seats. Beloved in the Lord, we are in the Easter tide season, and our short series for this season is about the post-resurrection encounters of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the texts we are studying are those encounters with the risen Lord, right? Last week, we talked about the restoration of relationship between Peter and Jesus. That was in John 21. Today, we're going to study another, another personality in the Bible, a person who met the risen Lord, and that meeting with the resur resurrected Lord changed the rest of his life. And our topic today is about defying doubts with Jesus. How's your faith? We believe that the Christian life is a life of faith. Amen? We live by faith and not by sight. We believe in a God that we haven't seen. We talk about things that are merely written. We were not there when these things happened. But as Christians, we believe them to be real and accurate and factual, historical events. But we know that there are times that we doubt. There are times that even though we believe that God is powerful, that God is real, but there are times that our faith is weakened, right? There are times that we doubt whether God would actually do what He promised. Sometimes we doubt if, if God could truly save our situations today. Now, that's the thing we want to come, you know, grips with today. We want to be like that father, you know, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there was this father whose son was, uh, you know, what's the term? Demon-possessed. And, and this father was begging Jesus for the healing of his son, and he begged, I believe you, Lord, 
And then he says, help my unbelief. He was, he was honest enough to tell Jesus, Lord, I believe in you, but there are areas in my heart that is still filled with doubt. And so help me in my unbelief. And so we need to overcome doubts. That's the issue that we are going to deal with this morning. Overcoming doubts. You see, sometimes in our Christian lives, it's so easy for Satan to be planting seeds of doubt, of, of you know, pessimism, negativism, so that it's easy for us to hear what people are talking about outside and not listen to what God has to say from within. We need to fight doubts. If there's one thing that Satan wants us to do, he wants us to doubt the ability of our God. He wants us to doubt that God can save us, that God is our Savior, that God conquered death, and that we can have victory in Him. Jesus is the truth, He's the way, the life. But Satan wants us to doubt those declarations. So today, we're going to talk about Thomas in John chapter 21. Now, of course, it's so sad that except for Judas Iscariot, no other apostolic legacy has been defined negatively as Thomas. It's like we even call him the doubting Thomas. You know, poor Thomas. With this specific passage that we're going to, to study today and the rest of history remembers him as a doubting Thomas. But friends, today I want us to look at this man and I think there's more to him than just doubting. All right? The fact that his encounter with Christ is recorded in the Gospel of John tells us that there is something to learn from this person. All right? And so let's begin in verse 24, our passage. All right? So this happened, you know, after a week. All right? So, so our story here is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. In John chapter 20, there's Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene was commanded by Christ to tell the disciples to be gathered because he is alive. And so, Christ came to them on that night. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, noticed this. On that first night after the resurrection, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. In other words, he was somewhere else. I don't know what's the reason. Probably Mary Magdalene and the other Marys failed to find him. Maybe he was so desperate that he, he went so far that the news about Christ, you know, did not reach him. Or I don't know what reason, but when Jesus Christ was present, Jesus commanded Mary, let the disciples know that I am alive. I'm going to meet them, all right? And so in this particular night, Jesus was there with them except Thomas, all right? Now, before we go on, I want us to see what Thomas missed on that first encounter. Friends, 
you just don't know what you will miss if you are absent. <laughs> you miss my jokes. <laughs> you miss the word. <laughs> now, five things Thomas missed, all right? I don't know if this is in your sermon note. Number one, he missed the presence of the resurrected Lord. See? He missed the presence, the fresh, you know, smell of a man who has been glorified. The man who walked out from an empty tomb. He missed that presence, all right? Notice this. In verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fears of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them. Sad to say, Thomas wasn't there. Say, he was absent. Now the second, he missed the peace of the resurrected Lord. Remember, they were all terrified. They were all filled with anxiety. The Messiah died, was buried, and they were afraid of their own lives. But then Jesus Christ came and gave them peace. Notice verse 19 again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This is the peace that only Christ can give. Friends, in this world, there is no peace. While people try to say, peace, 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 there is no real peace unless you have the presence of Jesus in your life. Only Christ can bring us to the Father. Amen? There is no real peace without Christ in a person's life. And so in this particular moment, the disciples were at peace except one man. Can you imagine? He was absent all the other disciples had peace except him. So in other words, for the rest of the week, he wasn't at peace at all. He was still discouraged. He was still frustrated. Can you imagine that? He missed one Sunday, and for one week, he suffered. absent man. right? Now, third... He missed the pleasures with the resurrected Lord. Verse 20. He missed the pleasures. Notice verse 20 again. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And look at what John says. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Overjoyed. It's like ecstasy. It's like their anxieties, their burdens, frustrations, and discouragement were transformed with joy because their Lord is alive. Amen? The prophecies were true. Everything that Jesus said, they were all true. They were overjoyed except one man, Thomas. See? You will miss the joy the laughter of worshiping the Lord if you miss one Sunday. <laughs> Number four, he missed the promotion of the resurrected Lord. The promotion. Remember, Jesus promoted them in verse 21. Notice here again. Again, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See? God was giving now their promotion. 
God was giving them the commission that they need to do. Jesus was commending them and sending them out. Except for one man. <laughs> See? Thomas wasn't there. All right? And number five, he missed the provision of the resurrected Lord. You see, when God sent them, God provided them the necessary power and influence that they need as witnesses. Notice verse 22. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a foretaste. Remember, the Holy Spirit is, is to descend and dwell among the believers where? In Acts chapter 2. And that's just what? 50 days after. But here, Jesus gives them a preliminary experience and power of the Holy Spirit. A pledge, a provision. So that for these 50 days, they will not be empty. They will have the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. They receive except one. For one week. <laughs> for one week, Thomas, no peace. <laughs> no pleasures. No promotion. See? No provision. That's so sad. And friends, that tells us the importance of what? Of a face-to-face -face worship attendance. You see? Pan the pandemic is over. A lot of Christians today are still having their pandemic fever. They don't want to go to church. And yet you find them in the mall, in the basketball court. You find them playing golf on a Sunday afternoon. And yet they don't go to church. You see? There's something wrong there. I mean, I don't know with you. Because certainly for some of you, you can't worship the Lord. I mean, we can worship the Lord anywhere, but it's different. Listen, we can worship the Lord anywhere personally. But as part of the church, it is part of God's plan that you cannot worship God alone. That we congregate together because there is something in the otherhood, you know, the fellowship that brings us closer to our God. I mean, we can worship. Yes, I can worship in my house. You can worship in your house. But it's different when the church gathers on the Lord's day. You see, friends, I've been telling you the church has always gathered on the first day of the week. And what was the first gathering of the church? First gathering as a church, it happened at the very day of Jesus' resurrection. This is the first church gathering. See? After the resurrection, they've always gathered on a Saturday because they were all Jews. But for the first time, the church gathers on the first day of the week. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm going to be there. That is why we call Sunday the Lord's Day. And where are you in this Lord's Day? Your seats are empty because you are just right there worshiping at home. Question, why are you there? 
Why aren't you here? Now, four important things, just as a reminder. I'm not trying to ego you. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you the pandemic is over. It's high time for you to go back. I know you have reasons, but God has more reasons that you should be part of His body. Church attendance is not an optional matter. It is a command in the Bible, all right? Look at Hebrews 10, 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Now, of course, when, when the Bible says meeting together, there was no idea of a Zoom meeting. Pastor, nag-meeting maputap through Zoom, through Facebook Live, through YouTube. Pastor, we are also worshiping. Well, there was a reason at that time because of the pandemic, but again, it's safe now. See? It's safe now. So the Bible says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. And you're in the Bible. If you're not with us now, this is you. Some people do. You're that people that Hebrews is talking about. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Brothers and sisters, this pandemic, these calamities, these are all signs that He is coming near. And why are still you are not here in the Lord's house? That's what this verse is talking about. When you have all the capacity to be gathered in God's house and you chose not, maybe because of convenience... Well, there's something wrong probably with your faith. See? And I, I was in a meeting with some pastors yesterday. We, you know, we hosted, uh, there is this, this uh, association of, of evangelicals, Philippine Gospel Network, in which we are part of it. And one of the things that, you know, this pastor who came from Manila said that, you know what, in, in this mega church in, in Manila, they used to have five services before the pandemic. After the pandemic, now they have only two services. <laughs> so what happened to the three others? See? It's like people simply chose to stay at home. Now that they understand, wow, this, there is this technology. Well, it is good, but I think there's something wrong in it. Because... There is no substitute to a face-to-face -face worship with God. See? In your house, no one can tell you, how are you, sister? How are you, brother? No one can touch you. No one can pray for you. See? Again, while, while Jesus said that we can worship anywhere, it's never in the Scripture that you can worship alone and not be in the body of Christ. That's why there is a church that gathers every week. Number two, when you miss a service, you might miss an opportunity that will never present itself again. Sometimes there are blessings that are unique to a specific Lord's Day. You know what? In history, there are certain revivals that happen only one Sunday. One Sunday that God visits His people and pours out His blessing and then you're absent, you miss that blessing. That can never be given back to you. And we're talking about Thomas. 
Can you just imagine five important things Thomas missed because he wasn't there when the church gathers on the Lord's Day? Number three, God has something special for each of us when we meet on the Lord's Day. I believe so. If you're a true born-again Christian, I don't know with you, but, you know, growing up in this church, sometimes you don't feel good, but then you just want to go to church. Like, nagani usaka Sunday. I don't know. The, before Panihanga, wapako na mature siguro, no? Before I was mature in faith, I cannot be absent in the church. Why? Because you will miss Sunday school. Yeah, I will miss Sunday school. Yes, I will miss the service. But I will miss the chica. I will, the, the chica will be bahaw by the time I'll be back. And you know, Bradford Church, you just miss one week and when you go there, many things happen. Oh, this is what happened last Sunday. Sayang. See? And there are so many marites in the church. Of course, hello, our marites is no, not, the, not the worldly marites. I mean, the marites, the testimony, ba? Diba? The testimony, diba? The testimony is that, you know what? This is what God did for me last week. This is what God did for this a miracle. See, all these testimonies of believers, this is one of the things that we do in a corporate worship. See? That's the nature of the church. They gather together. The sad thing about today is that we just, we just try to minimize the church with just the service, and then after that, we go home. You miss the fellowship. See? That's why we have coffee socials. The point there is that this is the Lord's day and it's a day for us to interact with the Lord's people. See? You don't just exist alone as a Christian. That's why it's important to be part of a congregation that talks. See, we laugh together and, and you know, sometimes in our worship, we can see that in some corners there are ladies crying because they are sharing their burdens. See? That's the dynamics of the church. We don't just laugh over our victories. We also cry because the Bible says, be happy for those who are happy and be sad with those who are sad. And how can you do that if you are just at home? See? Number four, when you go to church to worship, and this is important. You are proclaiming your faith in a risen Lord. You know why? Because Christ rose on the first day of the week. That's the turning point of the New Testament people. The Old Testament people gathers on a Sabbath and a Saturday, but the New Testament people of God, the covenant people, the New Testament covenant people of God, we gather on the Lord's day because that's the day Christ rose from the grave. And every time we attend a worship service, we are proclaiming that I'm believing a God who is alive. Amen? I'm worshiping a God who left the tomb. Amen? And so in verse 25, going back to John, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, verse 25, this is now what? This is now the time when Thomas came and he missed the attendance of Christ. And so they said, you know, Thomas, the Lord was here. Where were you? 
And Thomas, oh, nag-zoom rako. Nag-zoom rako. Nag-FB live lang ko. But no, 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 it's different. He was here. He was with us. And notice verse 25. But he said to them, unless, and here's the unless. Now, this is now, you know, the, the turning point of Thomas. And this is now where we judge him, where we label him. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, brethren, in the English, it's just, I will not believe. But in the Greek, this is so emphatic because there's a double negative here. It's like Thomas is saying, I will not not believe. So there is an emphasis there of his unbelief, of his doubt. And there we find three dangers of doubt. Okay? Now quickly, three dangers of doubt that we can find from Thomas and how it affected his relationship in the church. The dangers of doubting. Right? Number one, doubting brings deception. Doubting brings deception. Remember, the devil is a deceiver. Right? When he lies, he's talking about his natural language. And if there's one thing that the devil wants you to have, he wants you to have the seed of his deception. And he starts with doubting. Remember Eve? See? God told Adam and Eve, and probably it was only Adam. Adam, you can eat from all the trees here. It's eat all you can. That's the... That's the food policy here in the Garden of Eden. Eat all you can, except for this tree. Don't ever eat the fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the moment you eat of it, you will what? You will surely die. But then notice in chapter 3, you know, Eve was there just looking, and then there's the devil. And then the devil started to cast doubts. Did God really say you should not eat or touch See? It's doubting. And then, Eve, ana dita, hmm, bitaw no? See? Kana tong bitaw no moments. Bitaw no? What is that in English? What's the translation of bitaw no? I thought so. I think so. Alright? Deception! And that's where the lies of the devil, you know? He just, he's just looking for some cracks in our brains. See? For him to enter. And once we give him a small entry, he would surely come and cast doubts. Doubting brings deception. Number two, doubting breeds dissension. And notice what happened. See? Doubt. Thomas was doubting, and so he's now deceived. He's saying, I don't believe what you say. And then it breeds dissension. It breeds what? This unity. And I'm sure there was a debate going on. People, you know, the disciples saying, no, 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 we saw the... Unless I see, see? It breeds dissension. When you started to doubt the word, you start to debate, you start to argue with people, and it will cause disunity in the body of Christ. See? Third, doubting builds desperation. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. 
He missed the blessings. For the rest of the week, he was still desperate and discouraged and deceived while the others were at peace. Can you imagine that? He missed one meeting, and for one week, he suffered. See? It builds desperation. When you doubt the Word of God, when you doubt your, your relationship with God, it will cost you. See? Where else will you go? See? Remember at that time when people were starting to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, they started to abandon. You find this in, 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 in John chapter 6, verse 66. Very critical verse, 666. John 6, 66. Look at your Bible. See? The number of the devil, 666. John 6, 66. And you will find there what's happening there. John 6, 66. And people started to what? To turn away from him. See? They deserted him. All right? And Jesus looked at Peter and disciples. Are you not going with them? And, 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 and Peter says, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. See? Lord, there is no other way. Everything else is a desperate measure, a desperate way. You are the only way, Jesus. You are the truth. Amen? See, when you doubt, when you start to doubt, you will just be desperate. These people started to turn away from Jesus because now they could not take His words and they're now doubting if He's really the Messiah. And, and the result, they're living in desperation. See? No one to save them because they question the very one who could save them. Friends, do you experience those moments where you doubt Jesus? Yes, we all do. You see, Thomas is written in the scripture not to single him out, but he represents each of us. We all have our Thomas seasons of life. That sometimes when we are confronted with such big problems, we cave in. See? You know, Satan is always, is just always giving his chismis, his chismis, his deception. And we don't want to listen. But sometimes in our life, we are so down, we are so vulnerable that sometimes we try to listen. Oh, really, Satan? See? That's so dangerous. It only builds the desperation. See? That's why we have to defy, we have to break, we have to end all doubting and believe with all our hearts that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that everything that Jesus said is true. Amen? Now we come to verse 26. So that's the evening on the first day of the week, on the evening on Christ's resurrection. Now a week later... <laughs> That's what I told you. For one week, Thomas suffered. Thomas was discouraged. Thomas was still not at peace. All the rest were at peace. All the rest were overjoyed except one man, Thomas. Why? Because he wasn't there. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, same house. Why? Why were they in the house? Because it's Sunday, see? 
They were not, they had their own homes. I mean, they could, they could just stay at home and say, you know what, Jesus is everywhere anyway. Jesus can visit our homes. Let's just have our worship here. No, they were in the house where they usually go. And by the way, those of you who will go to the Holy Land, you will be visiting this house. <laughs> okay? You will visit this house that is referred to by the Gospels. This house where they usually hang out, the same house where the apostles were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. It's there. You can visit this house. Though the doors were locked, now notice Thomas was with them. So now Thomas is there. He learned his mistakes. <laughs> All right? Now he's, he's there. Nga naman, naigo siya. <laughs> naigo siya. Wali, ningto nga, oi, pagadominggo. Sa alkansi ko, Anida. All right? You know? I was absent just for a few hours and then so many things happened. No. I'll make sure next Sunday, I'll be there. So he's there. Now, notice Again, in the middle of this verse, it says, Though the doors were locked. Why do you think this phrase, you know, was repeated? Remember? This was also mentioned the week before. Same thing. The doors were locked. The same thing the week after. They were there. They were, the doors were still locked because I'm sure the news about Christ's resurrection was going around. So many chismes were happening. And, of course, the Pharisees were also paying the, you know, the soldiers to fabricate stories. And, of course, the Roman, the Roman government is now trying to retrieve the body of Christ. And so, they were locking their doors for safety reasons. But there's something else here. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Friends, listen. The doors were locked. Jesus did not have to knock. Alright? He did not even have to open the door. He simply was there. See? That's, the, that's what the Bible says. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, I'd like to quote what John Piper said about that. Today, this is the implication, friends, of that phrase. Locked doors, Jesus came in. Jesus today, alright? Listen, in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach you and reach into you anywhere at any time. There is no place where you are and no depths of your personhood that you are, you are which Jesus can't penetrate. Why? Because He is now the resurrected Lord. You see, this is the difference between the Jesus before the resurrection and the Jesus after the resurrection. The Jesus before the resurrection, He was limited in His time and space. But after Jesus resurrected, He was no longer limited. In other words, Today, because we are worshiping a risen Lord, it means that in your life, though you try to lock your doors, locked doors can keep Jesus out from you. If your problems 
are trying to trap you, if your miseries today are trying to trap your life, friends, listen, no problem can hold Jesus from entering your life and saving you. Do you believe that? See? He can reach out to you. Even in the midst of fears, probably some of them were still having some anxieties and fears. But the Bible says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood with them. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits Him to do what no one else can do in this world. Only Christ can pass through walls of doubts, of anxieties. Yes, we have pastors in this church. We can pray for you. We can be with you. But we can never be with you 24-7 the same way Jesus can. We can share. We can, we can, you can talk to us. We can counsel you. But only Christ can be present in your most down moments. As much as I want and we want your pastors, as much as we want to shepherd you, but we are limited. But Christ is unlimited. That's the power of the resurrected Lord. Amen? And then, it says there, Jesus came and stood among them. All right? Now, I want us to focus again in that phrase. This is very important, verse 26. The point here is that He came right into the middle of their meeting. He did not come to the edge or call out from the wall and deal with them from a distance. No, when Christ was there, He was there in their midst. Meaning to say, my dear friends, if you are in the middle of your problems today, if you're in the middle of your anxiety today, if your burdens today, Christ can be with you not from afar, not from a distance, but He can be there and stand right in the midst of you. See? That's the power of the resurrected Lord. He can be where we are most in need of Him. Amen? And what does Jesus Christ bring? Peace. Of all the things that Jesus wants to tell them, peace. He could have said food. They were hungry. See? He could have said joy. No. Peace. Because Jesus knew that's that's the greatest need of man when we are in problems. We are not at peace. And when we are not at peace, we cannot think clearly. All right? And when we are not at peace, our diet is also affected. Either we don't want to eat or we just want to eat, 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 eat. See? But that's what God gives our greatest need. We need peace. Lord, I need peace of mind. See? Because if we don't have peace, we don't have connection with God. Right? We don't have connection with God. And, and, and the devil wants to rob us of that provision. See? When the devil robs us of the peace of God, it's so hard for you to connect with God. And so it gives way for him to connect with you and with me. But Jesus said, peace be with you. Right? And then verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, 
See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop believing, stop doubting, and believe. Now, I want us to focus on that phrase, stop doubting and believe. Remember, it was only Thomas who said, unless, unless I could touch his finger and his side, I will believe. I will never believe. And here, Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. All right? Now, in the Greek, it's so emphatic because in the Greek, you can translate it literally, do not be unbelieving but believing. <laughs> that's the literal translation. It doesn't sound good in the English, but that's the literal sense of what Jesus said. Do not be unbelieving but be believing. All right? There's some new ones here. First, it's present. Present tense, meaning a continuous action. So Jesus saying, please do not continue doubting. Okay? Second, it's in the middle voice. A middle voice, it means that the person performs the action upon himself. It's like Jesus saying, Thomas, stop doubting. Stop unbelieving. The word there for doubting, by the way, is just the word for believing with a negative. <laughs> See? There's just a word added so that the word becomes a negative. The, the Greek word for believing is pistos, and then there's, there's a word added to, to pistos, a, a pistos, it negates. So it's unbelieving or not believing. So Jesus is saying, stop this continuous not believing and start believing. And this is imperative. Meaning Jesus Christ is not suggesting. He is commanding. See, He is commanding. Stop. That's how Jesus needs to correct our cycle of doubting and unbelief. Make a stop. Make a decision. It's a command. Alright? Now, notice verse 28. There's a sudden change. You see? After Jesus saying, stop in your unbelief and start believing, and then Thomas said these classic words, my Lord and my God. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, I was wondering, I was wondering what the other churches, those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as God, what do you think is their commentary about this? So I checked the websites of, you know, churches who don't believe, you know, that Jesus is God. And their website, you know, their explanation, when Thomas said this, he was still saying this in unbelief and doubt. In other words, they're saying Thomas was still wrong when he says, my Lord and my God. Well, that could be true, except that Jesus did not correct him. You know, Jesus, when Peter made some statements that is wrong, you know, what would Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. See, that's, that's how Jesus Christ would correct his disciples. That's how, remember, there were some Jews who persist in their unbelief of Him as the Messiah. What did Jesus Christ call them? You son of the devil! not harsh? And yet, some of you, not harsh Jesus. 
Di ba na ngilad paminahon? Anak, anak mo si Awa. Kinsay ni Sulti anak? Si Jesus. And why did Jesus say that? Because the Yawa, the devil, has always been lying. He never believes. And you don't believe in me, therefore that makes you sons or children of the devil. See? Jesus was harsh when he corrects his disciples. But here, if, if, if Thomas' declaration was wrong, if he was saying this in a state of unbelief, then Jesus probably would say, Thomas, you are wrong. I am not God. I am just your Lord. But no. In fact, Jesus affirmed his belief. Alright? Therefore, when Thomas declared that my Lord and my God, there is now a change. Suddenly, there's a change. So this now brings us to the question, what made this sudden change? See? First, he was walking in doubt and then suddenly... There's believing. See? First, he was saying, unless I touch, and then, my Lord and my God. Now, friends, before we come down too hard on Thomas, we need to see him in the broader perspective in this narrative, all right? When the disciples first heard the news that Jesus was alive, as announced by Mary and the other Marys, question, did they believe immediately? No. For two possible reasons. One, Hagoy ang nag-announce mga badzi. <laughs> I told you already the background. Remember? During that time, the Jews would not accept testimonies from women. Diba? Kaya, you know these women, you know they have problems at home and they make all these mga story-stories. Oh, na pirti si kuning labas si Maria, wakatong mo na, nakikita, nag-delirium na. And so nobody believes Mary and the other Marys. See? And so, probably they did not believe because Mary and the other women were not credible enough. Or, second, let's just say that, you know, these Marys are now credible because they are now Christians. But still, don't be too hard on Thomas as if Thomas is the only one who did not believe. All of them did not believe. See? They only believe until when? When Christ stood among them. So in other words, their testimony, their belief in Christ was the same as Thomas. They believed because they saw him. Alright? And so, let us not accuse Thomas as if he's the only doubting one. The only reason why Thomas did not believe is because he was absent. But all of them were begging the same evidence. Let us see him. See, they both, all of them. The only difference is that the ten saw Jesus first and Thomas wasn't there. That's why he says, unless I touch. So let's not judge Thomas as if he's the only doubting Thomas. All of them had the same question. The only difference, Thomas was late with the news. And that's why he was simply begging for something that he did not receive, that all the rest received a week earlier. Are you getting the point here? So all of them were 
doubting and that they've seen. That's why, does this say, Pastor, that now faith is really by sight? No, that's not the point in the Bible. The point of the Scripture is this, that the Word, the testimony, our faith in the resurrected Lord is not based on some hearsays. It's not based on testimonies of some women, no. It's based on accurate eyewitness account. So that when people today, today we're talking of the modern day people, when skeptics today say that Jesus did not rise from the grave, oh no, we don't believe that. You know why? Because they themselves were so skeptical until they saw him. And, and in 1 Corinthians 15, he wasn't just seen and touched by the ten. Paul says he was seen by 500 at the same time. Now, we do not know. We do not know. We are not clear if Jesus, you know, revealed himself to 500 people at the same time or 500 people at the same time in different locations because now Jesus can do that. He's now everywhere. Surely, these 500 plus people were not in delirium. That's the point of the scripture. Bible wants us to know clearly that what they are writing is not based on what they've heard from women. No. Because these Jews, they want to see. So it's teaching us that the faith that we have now is based from empirical facts, concrete facts, because the 12, I mean the 11 themselves, we're not willing to believe in a Jesus that is just what chismis by some people. They want to see. So now, from our end, we must believe in this Jesus who rose from the grave. Why? Because these disciples were very critical. They would not just accept something that they've not seen with their own eyes. All right? So again, going back. Now, Paul, I mean, Thomas now touched Jesus. The disciples now touched Jesus. That's why they believe. Now, question, what about us today? What caused Thomas to suddenly change? Is it the touching? All right, is it the touching? Now, what about us today? We haven't seen our Lord we haven't seen him rose from the grave. We haven't touched his, his hand with our fingers or his side. But why do we believe? See? The next verse is important. It says there, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. And notice the second phrase, But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brethren, Jesus is now talking about you and me. He had you and me in his mind. He knew that, you know, you see me now, I'm, I'm going to stay here for the next 40 days. But I know a lot of people in the years to come, they will still believe in me even if they have not seen me. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus was talking about you and me in our times today when he said this. Blessed. Now that 
gives us the key. What Again, going back to the question, what caused the transition from doubting to believing? Why is the story of Thomas included in the ending part of John's Gospel? Was it only to prove that there is this doubting Thomas? No. The focus of Thomas' story, brethren, is not that he doubted. It's about believing. It's about faith. It's about faith that you and I cannot have on our own. Thomas could not have such faith unless he was blessed with it. All right? What is the verse after this? The ending. This is the ending of this chapter because this is where John states the purpose of writing. Notice the purpose of writing the Gospel of John. But these are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Friends, that's the purpose why the story of Thomas is included in the Gospel of John. For us to defy doubt by what? By faith. By believing. And how can we have this faith? That's the question. How can we believe without seeing? And I'm, I mean, we could say, well, good for you, Thomas. You touched the, 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 the hand of Christ. Good for you, 11 disciples. Good for you, Mary. You saw them. Good for you, Paul. Jesus revealed himself to you on your, on your road to Damascus. But there's no Jesus who showed. I don't know with you. I, some... Muslims testify that Jesus, you know, showed themselves, showed Jesus himself to them. But what about you? Are we here, believers, are we here worshiping Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ visited us one night? Is anybody here who can say that, you know, Jesus came? Majority of us, probably not. But why? Why can we believe? Friends, the answer is this. Blessed. All right? Blessed. Do you think you can earn this blessing? No, this is unearned. This is a gift. See? Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is what? A gift from God. So that answers the question. What transformed Thomas from doubting to believing in an instant. One instant he says, I don't believe. And then suddenly, my Lord and my God. Was it only the seeing? No. It goes beyond there. You need to ask, what caused Thomas to see what needs to be seen? Because during his doubting, there was some kind of a veil some kind of a covering, blind them, all of them. But who removed that veil? It's God. It's a gift. So that answers the question, who transformed Thomas from doubting to believing? Not himself. God himself. Because believing is a gift. Amen? You and I believe in Jesus today even though we haven't seen him. But why are we blessed? Because it's a gift. It's a favor that God grants to undeserving sinners 
like you and me, like Thomas. We don't deserve to see His glory. But because of His mercy and grace, blessed are you when you believe. Amen? Now, quickly, what are the blessings of believing? Now that we understand that it's what, it was a gift from God, God gives that gift to you and me, no wonder I believe in my Lord Jesus Christ even though I haven't seen Him. I believe that His word is true because that's something God has given me. Number one, or letter A, believing restores our fellowship. It restored the fellowship. See? Before, there was no fellowship with Jesus. There was no fellowship with the other Christians. But the moment you believe, friends, it restores our fellowship with God and with each other. Amen? Second, believing renews our focus. When you doubt, what's your focus? Your focus is your problem. See? When you doubt, your focus is the person that's causing your problem. <laughs> See? That's why the devil wants us to doubt because we will be off focus to the right object of our focus. But when we start believing, guess who becomes the focus in your life? When God transformed the heart of, Jude, of, of Thomas, the focus was now on what? My Lord and my God. Friends, believing will bring back our focus unto Him. Don't focus on the negatives in your life. Don't focus on the circumstance. Focus on Christ. Amen? He should be our Lord and our God. Now, just the new ones there. My Lord, my God in Greek is ho chorios mo kai ho theos mo. Now, translated literally, the Lord my, the God my. Now, why is this so important? It means that he's referring to Christ as the Lord. And the God. There's an article there. So Thomas could not be wrong. When he declared, he just declared the greatest confession of the Christian church. That Jesus is the Lord and the God. And with the pronoun, possessive pronoun, mu. What's mu? Mine. See? It's important that Jesus is not just the Lord and the God. He has to be your Lord and your God so that you can be saved. Amen? It doesn't save anyone if He just declares Jesus is the Lord and the God unless He becomes my Lord and my God. We have to possess Him. That's why we have to welcome Him into our lives to be saved. Knowledge alone of Christ will not save but it's having possession of Christ, a relationship. That's what saved Thomas' faith. My Lord and my God. And finally, believing reassures our favor. It reassures our favor. And what is that favor, brethren? When Jesus declared, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed, makarios is the Greek word. It means happy. It means fortunate. It means you are highly favored by God. Believing breeds what? The favor of God. And so as we close, brethren, it is my prayer that just like Thomas, 
make this declaration, your declaration of faith today, that indeed, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. You are my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for the life of Thomas. He revealed to us the necessity of believing. Lord, we know that as we journey through life, there will be moments that we may doubt, doubt your promises, doubt your word. But Lord, we call on to you. Just like Thomas, in those moments of doubts, we invoke the name of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my God. Amen.